world is sound asleep and too afraid of what might show up while you're dreaming. Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you. Nobody, nobody will believe you. And every day you try to pick up all the pieces, all the memories they somehow never leave you. Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you. Nobody, nobody will believe you. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. But God only knows the real you. There's a kind of love that God only knows. There's a kind of love. You keep a cover over every single secret. So afraid if someone saw them, they would leave. Somebody, somebody, somebody sees you. Somebody, somebody will never leave you. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. Misunderstood and the ones to blame. What if we could start over? We could start over. We could start over. Oh, for the lonely, for the ashamed, the misunderstood and the ones to blame. What if we could start over? We could start over. We could start over. There's a kind of love that can't.
good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. Come on in. If you can hear my voice and you're out in the lobby grabbing your last cup of coffee, come on in and join us. We're going to get started in just a minute. So come on in and, uh, and find your seat. And it's so good to see all the fellowship that happens. Uh, just a reminder for those of you that are just making your way in. Uh, that we do offer our co uh, coffee fellowship and breakfast every Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. till just before the service starts. So please take advantage of that. It's a great way to catch up with some friends and family that you haven't seen all week or maybe in a few weeks and, and to get some extra fellowship in. And so then, of course, there's always time afterwards as well. But uh, we're so glad that you chose to, to join us here uh, on... Um, on this Sunday, and you know, we gather on Sunday mornings um, in the tradition of the ancient church because they gathered on Sundays to, uh, to celebrate the new life in Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, we're so, um, you know, we're so privileged and honored to be able to meet with our God and our maker here, and you know, we have been created to worship him, and so that's why we're here, to bring worship to our God. And so in just a minute, I'm going to ask us to stand and we'll pray and begin our time together of worship through song, which is something we love to do here. Um, but again, I just want to say thank you for choosing to worship with us today. And we say uh, also a special welcome to all of our friends that are joining us uh, through the live stream. Remember, that's a great tool if you're away on vacation this summer or if you're not feeling well, can't make it out to church for whatever reason, just go to our website, trinityallenwood.com. You can just click on Watch Live, and you can, um, you can just uh, join in with the worship and uh, the message service on Sunday mornings, all right? And then those are always uh, archived, so you can always go uh, there and see all the past messages that you've missed on our sermon page. So there's much more to know, but continue to, to check out our website for anything new that's happening. And after a time of worship, I'll update us on a few other things and, and uh, we'll get started. And so what I'd like to do is read to you from the Word of God. This will be our call to worship as we have all kind of gathered here, having had different experiences this week and uh, even getting here this morning. It's good to be able to calm our hearts and uh, to clear our minds, in a way, to prepare ourselves for worship. So I'd like to read to you a passage from Genesis, some of the opening words of the story of God in the Holy Scriptures. And let this be our call to worship our God this morning. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth, according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Church, the part of that creation story reminds us of who God is. Those early words of Genesis are not just for us to study, to see how they match up with science and how the world was actually created. But even more important than that, these words reveal God himself to us. This is God telling us who he is, not only what he has done, but who he truly is. And this is the God that we are privileged to worship now, the God that we can give praise and honor and glory to, the God who created, the God who created us, the pinnacle of his creation in his very image. So church, let's stand and I'll pray us into worship with those words in our hearts and on our minds. We will lift our voices together to worship God. Father, thank you for the privilege being here together. Thank you, God, that you have sanctified that day of rest, that seventh day, that last day to show us, God, how good you are. Lord, you didn't need to stop to rest because you were tired. You showed us, Lord, that we are to take that time regularly to stop and to think and to ponder and to be in wonder and awe of who you are and what you have done. May we continue, Lord, may we continue to just be in that, that place of awe, to take joy in the wonder of who you are, especially now as we worship you. God, may you be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's worship him together.
sing. Take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you. Well, if we can make our way back to our seats. All right. Uh, beautiful time of worship and some extra fellowship there. And as we were singing, right, with all creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings. So we get to worship with all of creation. Because the word tells us that all of creation is groaning and waiting for the return of Jesus just like we are, amen? And so we look forward to his return. And so um, as our, our young people made their way down the hall, just want to give a couple of quick updates first about them. Uh, today is a special Sunday for our uh, Trinity Kids ministry. You kind of saw them heading down with their teachers, but uh, today's a special day because they're celebrating, and they're celebrating because it's the end of the uh, sort of the school year. That's always something to celebrate, right? You remember those days? And parents these days are like, yeah, it's the end of the school year and teachers. But um, it also, uh, you know, we celebrate the beginning of summer. And so, um, and so our kids' ministry teachers wanted to do something special. And so they will be having uh, some pizza, like a pizza celebration. So we have locked these doors so that none of the adults, because if I see you get up, I know where you're going. You're going to get pizza, right? But, um, and then afterwards, there'll be a special treat for the kids, and then also for all the adults. I won't give it away, but on your way out, make sure that you, uh, you say good morning and congratulations to, to some of the kids, and you'll get to participate in the special treat that their teachers have set up for them. And you'll see that outside as we leave the service, okay? A um, couple other quick updates. Uh, just remember that um, uh, we have the outreach today after service, and so our missions team has been uh, promoting that for a while. So that is our gospel and uh, pizza 
in Lakewood. And so if you are planning to go, they're meeting there at two o'clock. If you have any questions after service, see Andrew or his wife Elizabeth. They head up our missions uh, ministry. So of course, this is open to anybody and we've done this before, uh, but we'd love for some newcomers to come out as well. It's an opportunity. Um, you'll get to have pizza if you go. You can't have pizza with the kids, but you can go and, and do that in Lakewood and just get to meet some people, hear their stories, share your story, share your story with Jesus with them. And uh, you have that opportunity. You never know what God is going to do. And uh, so we often say, right, the best ability is availability. So you go, you make yourself available, and then you pray about it, you see what the Lord will do. So great, uh, a great opportunity for all of you, especially if you have been noticing that you have been reluctant to step out of your comfort zone when it comes to talking about Jesus and about your faith, this is a great uh, opportunity to do just that, all right? And then the other quick announcement uh, is that normally we would have our fellowship lunch and communion on the first Sunday of every month, which is what we normally do, but sometimes the summers uh, get a little different. And so next Sunday, I believe it's July 3rd, um, would normally be that Sunday, but we're going to push it off for one week because it is July 4th weekend and many people are traveling and, and so on. And so we are going to have our fellowship lunch and our communion together as a church the following Sunday, so that's July 10th. So you'll get an email, it'll be posted on the website as a reminder, but just make a note of that, that we won't have our normal first Sunday of the month um, gathering next Sunday. Um, we will do our uh, communion and fellowship lunch the following Sunday, July 10th, and make sure you all join us for that. Those are always great Sundays to invite friends and family, people that you've been talking to Jesus about have them come out, they can stay a little bit for a meal. Uh, so much more to know about what's going on here at Trinity. Go to our website and uh, check in often. Make sure you get set up with our prayer email as well. You can just go to our website and see where that is. It's just uh, prayer at trinityallenwood.com is our email um, address, and you can know all about the prayer requests and hear those prayer updates as well to stay connected. We want to be a church that continues to pray. And so uh, we thank you for all those people that have been praying. And then finally, what I'd like to do is introduce our very special guest. And so uh, Pastor Jared Nicastro uh, is the teaching pastor, the lead teaching pastor at New Monmouth Baptist Church up in Middletown, just about a half hour north of here. Many of you know where that is. And um, he has been here many times, but it's been a while since he's been here. And he's very busy with his duties as teaching pastor at that church, but he um, has uh, just graciously, and I mean that with all sincerity, graciously taken some time away from his church family um, and uh, to come in and share the word with us this morning. So he'll tell you a little bit more about himself and his ministry and his family, but uh, I just wanted to welcome Pastor Jared. So if you would come and share what God has put on your heart, and thank you for your willingness to do that for us this morning. Thanks, Pastor thank Keith. You. No Appreciate Good that, to see man. you. Thanks, man. for you. All right. You see yeah. how we do that? You haven't even said a word. Yeah. You're already clapping. They appreci I know. We appreciate you. I like this place. <laughs> I like this place. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it has been a while since I, I've had the blessing of, of being here with, with you all. I guess it was before COVID that I was here. I think it was maybe like Labor Day weekend or, or something like that. Maybe three years ago, three or four years ago, something like that. And uh, it's always a blessing 
to be able to be here. This is kind of like a, a home away from home. I, I think I've been able to to preach here uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe somewhere around a half a dozen times or so. And um, uh, I guess it was a, a while back before Pastor Keith ha- had come here that the church was going through a, a difficult time or a tr- time of transition. And uh, I was at uh, Jackson Baptist Church in Jackson, uh, which is a, kind of a sister church and I had the privilege of being able to come and fill the pulpit a couple times. And uh, Pastor Keithy got started. He wrote a really great, gracious uh, letter thanking the church. Of It was myself and the associate pastor came and, and preached here a few times. And uh, then I, I got to meet Pastor Keith, and I, I was like, wow, this is, I want to be friends with this guy. Because he, as you guys know, Pastor Keith is like one of the coolest pastors you'll ever meet. And uh, I always tell him of any, yeah. You like to clap here. I always like to tell him when it oh, the the Mount Rushmore of pastors with the best hair. He is definitely on it. Um, so, but but we are, our families have become really great friends over the years, and uh, I've now been the teaching pastor at New Mammoth Baptist for uh, about six years now, and uh, it, it's been great. It's been a blessing. Like many churches, COVID has been uh, a wild ride. Um, we've been blessed that that the church has been has done well through that, um, but there there have been many challenges. But God is faithful. Uh, the church is doing really well, um, but uh, it's wild. There's like you know tons of people moving from New Jersey out to like the Carolinas and Florida. Is that happening here too? Yeah, and, and but all these new people are coming in, and uh, it's it's really exciting. All these new families moving into Middletown and, and the opportunity to be able to connect with them and. And we've been seeing a lot of people come to the faith, and, and we've had a lot of baptisms, and it really has been uh, a, a, a challenging but an exciting time of, of ministry. And so it really is, it's, it's great to be with you. If you would, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 33. And just to give you a little synopsis really quick of leading up to to where our passage is at, in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the the really the lead um, themes of the Gospel of Matthew that we see happening over and over again as you read Matthew is the theme of identity and authority, where the purpose is is revealing Jesus' identity as the one true God of the universe, as the promised Messiah, and, and his authority as the one true God of the universe and promised Messiah. And so that starts with the miraculous circumstances involving Jesus' birth, as, as, well as, um, as well as it leads into chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, his identity and authority that we see in his teaching ministry. And then as we move to chapters 5 through 8, I'm sorry, as we move through chapters 8 through and 9, we see his identity and authority through his miraculous works. Where around the Sea of Galilee, he goes around and he has these miraculous encounters with everyday people, right? Where he's, he's healing the sick and, and he's casting out demons and he's doing all these amazing things. Where we see, once again, who Jesus is. That he's the one true God of the universe. He is the promised Messiah. But then we get to chapter 10 and this shift takes place where now, after establishing his identity and authority, Jesus takes that identity and authority and what does he do with it? He gives it to us. He gives it to his disciples. And, and he spends chapter 10, it's this really important chapter where, where Jesus shows us what does it mean 
to be his disciple? What does it mean to follow after Jesus? And as always, Jesus is very upfront with us, right? Jesus isn't much of a salesman, right? He doesn't sell us. He doesn't try and, you know, he doesn't try and hide the truth. He's very upfront with us. And he lets us know about the challenges that, that we will face and what it looks like to follow after him, that we have to take up our cross and follow him. But he also talks about the incredible rewards and how there is nothing better than having that personal relationship with the one true God. And so that's, that's where we're going to be today, right here in, in Matthew chapter 10. And so if you would, would you please stand as, as for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. Jesus says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Please be seated. So if you grew up in the 1990s like me, there was an extremely high probability that when you walked down the halls of your middle school or high school, there was a kid wearing a shirt that looked like this. I don't know if anybody here had, had a no fear shirt or knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, we, we know what we're talking We have some no fear shirts here. Now, I, I know that there's some of us here that, that in their heyday, they rocked a no fear shirt. Now, sadly, I was never cool enough to wear a no fear shirt, and I'm still not cool enough, sadly. But, but for those of you who weren't 90s kids and didn't shop at Hot Topic, there was this entire clothing line called No Fear that had a bunch of these corny, uh, quasi-inspirational sayings, if, if that's what you want to call them, uh, on these shirts. And they mostly had to do with sports or some kind of competition. Now, of course, the irony is, is that when we're in middle school or high school with our no fear shirts on, our fears and insecurities were probably at an all time high. But the truth is, is that all of us fear something. It could be something like heights or crowds, speaking in public, the fear of failure, spiders, bees. Snakes, it could be fear of the future, fear of change, loneliness, financial security, or, or maybe death. All of us as human beings struggle with fear in one way or another. And here in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells us to put our fears into perspective by providing us with a threefold admonition as to why we, as his disciples, are not to fear, which is the single most common command given in the entire Bible that God tells us over and over again not to be afraid, not to fear. 
And so with that being said, I put together a three-part outline for our study this morning that will help us unpack this vitally important word given to us by the Lord Jesus. And so the three points in our outline this morning are, number one, the fear of man, number two, the fear of the Lord, and number three, the love of God. And so number one, the fear of man in verses 26 and 27, Jesus gives us the first of his three exhortations not to fear, where he instructs us specifically not to fear those who threaten or persecute us for our faith. But rather, we are to be bold by proclaiming the gospel and the message of the kingdom of God from the very rooftops. Number two, the fear of the Lord. Next, Jesus points out how fearing man is an illogical notion. As all human beings are extremely limited in what they are capable. Jesus says, if we are to fear anyone, it should be the Lord, who is the ultimate authority over our final destiny. And then lastly, number three, the love of God. In verses 29 through 31, Jesus puts the fear of the Lord in its proper perspective by contrasting it with the love of God. Jesus reminds us that our Heavenly Father is sovereign and supreme, which means he knows everything about us, which includes all of our deepest, darkest secrets, the worst things we've ever done, and even the most vile thoughts that have ever come into our minds. And yet, our God still loves us to the point where he was willing to give up his one and only son for us. And so this is the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. And so with that all being said, let's move forward to our first point this morning, the fear of man. And read, we'll read verses 26 and 27 together. It says, Jesus says here, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And so in verse 26, Jesus begins by saying, have no fear of them. Which forces us to ask the question, who is them? Who's, who's he talking about here? Who's Jesus referring to here? Well, in the previous passage, in verses 16 through 25, Jesus is up front with his disciples about the persecution they will face if they are to follow after him. He tells them that they will be like sheep in the midst of wolves, that they will be betrayed to councils and governors and kings, and they will even be persecuted by people from within their own families because of their love and ministry in the name of Jesus. However, despite this immense persecution Jesus' disciples may face, the Lord puts it all into perspective for us by telling us not to fear. Pastor and author David Platt writes, As we face fear, we must face it with an eternal perspective. We shouldn't be afraid of this world and its ways because one day in the future, the sin and evil of this world will be exposed. And God's justice will prevail. You don't need to vindicate yourself. God will vindicate you. Instead of worrying about what the world says now, we should worry about what God will say in eternity. The Lord will uncover all that is true and right on the last day. So give yourself to righteousness and trust God. You see, fear 
in the biblical sense, may be broader than the typical definition of fear that, that most of us are familiar with, where it not only includes being afraid of someone or something, but it extends to allowing ourselves to be controlled or mastered by our fear, especially when it comes to people, where it may lead to a kind of idol worship and putting our trust in people instead of in God. And so the Bible refers to this as the fear of man. In Proverbs 29, the first part of verse 25, it says, the fear of man is a snare, or the fear of man is a trap. It is a trap that we are all prone as human beings to fall into. That when we read the scriptures time and time again, when we see those who fall into sin, if we look at our own lives, when we fall into to sin, the reason why is because the fear of people or the fear of circumstances is bigger in our lives than the fear of the Lord. That we forget who our God is. Biblical counselor and author Ed Welch writes in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, he writes, the fear of man can be summarized this way. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. Now, in our youth, the fear of man is often referred to as peer pressure. When we get older, then we start to call it people-pleasing. And for many, fear of man takes on the label of codependency. And the truth is, is that all of us, all of us struggle with the fear of man in one way or another, whether it be having your self-esteem yo-yo according to the affirmation or approval of others, making certain decisions because of what someone might think, say, or do. Being constantly overcommitted because we can't stand to not meet others' expectations. Consistently overcompensating because we feel like we're going to be exposed. We're going to be found out. Constantly second-guessing our decisions because of what other people might think. Allowing a certain relationship to devolve into codependency where it begins to control us. Lying or exaggerating the truth in order to make ourselves look better to other people. The fear of man is a form of idolatry that is a cruel taskmaster that enslaves Christians. It robs us of the freedom we have in Christ and compromises the intimacy that is available to us in our relationship with God. You see, in Christ, we have Nothing to fear. We have nothing to hide. Which is why Jesus tells his disciples in verses 26 and 27 that what he has taught them in secret, in, in the dark, that they are to proclaim publicly in the light. If we are truly disciples of Jesus Christ, we cannot be private about our faith. That if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as a private faith. We cannot be embarrassed of our Savior. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. 
as the fear of man is enemy number one when it comes to reaching our friends, family, and community with the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a memorial service at the, the church I pastor at for the husband of one of our longtime church members. Uh, or the woman's name is, is Eileen Thomas. And her husband, Tommy, was a great guy. Very beloved, kind-hearted man. Everybody loved Tommy. Just a, just a sweet guy. He was, he was from St. Martin. I don't know if there's anybody here who's originally from the Caribbean. There's something about people from the, the islands. They're just laid back. They're just the most kind-hearted, just easy to love people. And Tommy was one of these guys. However, he had resisted trusting in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And as a church, we had prayed fiercely for, for Tommy over the, the years. We, we prayed for, for Tommy's health as he had been diagnosed with cancer several years ago. And we prayed even more intensely for Tommy's salvation. And at the memorial service, Tommy's son-in-law, his name is Charlie, he, he gets up. And Charlie's a Christian. He gets up and he gives this powerful testimony of how he, he witnessed to his, his father-in-law, Tommy, over and over and over again. And he shared about God's faithfulness in providing opportunities to speak the gospel into Tommy's life. That when Tommy got cancer, he started to pray, I just, I just want to be able to meet my grandchildren. And not only did he get to, to meet them, he was alive for all of his grandchildren being born. And so he had all of these opportunities and he kept witnessing to Tommy over and over and over again. And miraculously, shortly before Tommy's time on earth came to a close, like the thief on the cross, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and trusting in him for salvation. Now, praise God that because Charlie was not ashamed of the gospel, that he didn't care about the possibility of, of offending his father-in-law. I know I've been guilty of that before. Or keeping his mouth shut in order to earn his father-in-law's approval. He, he didn't care about those things. What he cared about was his father-in-law's salvation. And the Lord was able to use him as the vehicle to lead his father-in-law to saving faith in Christ. It was because Charlie did not fear man and instead feared God by being bold in his faith that his father-in-law is spending eternity with Jesus Christ instead of being lost forever. And so this is why Jesus says at the end of verse 27 that when it comes to the message of the kingdom of God that we are to proclaim it on the housetops. Because as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you know that? That nothing else in the scriptures is referred to as the power of God except the gospel. And Jesus has equipped you with his very power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at, alive inside of each and every one of his people. And that's what he equips us with, his identity, his authority, and his power. And so we cannot fear man. 
So with that all being said, let's move forward to our second point in our outline, the fear of the Lord, which is both the solution and remedy for the fear of man. And what we're going to do is we're going to read verse 28, and then we're going to skip ahead to verses 32 and 33. We, we read the, the entire passage in its context, but we're going to skip around a little bit. It's going to help us follow Jesus' train of thought better, and then we'll come back around and cover the rest of the passage. And so Jesus says, beginning in verse 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Then, beginning in verse 32, he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so in verse 28, Jesus tells us for the second time, do not fear. When you're reading the scriptures and when Jesus repeats himself, when anybody repeats something, we gotta, we gotta circle that, we gotta underline that, we gotta put a star next to that, that's important. So the message he's trying to get across to us here is do not fear. So he says it for the second time and then he begins to make a logical argument as to why we shouldn't fear people due to the fact that the threat that human beings pose to us is limited to this life. Where in contrast, God has unlimited power and is not only sovereign and supreme over this life, but he has complete authority over salvation, eternity, and our final destiny. And while this may sound like a strange form of encouragement, Jesus is essentially telling us here, don't be afraid of people because the worst thing they can do to you is kill you. That's what he's saying. But it's true. It's true. This is the reality we live in as followers of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. It says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that this life doesn't matter. No, it matters very much. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying here is that as Christians, we are called to have an eternal perspective. That everything we do, we are to view it through the lens of having an eternal perspective. And you know, when we live, living in this world, and it just seems like in, in a short amount of time, especially in our country, that things continue to be spiraling downward at this alarmingly fast rate. Uh, it's just overwhelming. And we look, it, it, I don't even turn on the news anymore, but if you turn on the news and we see things like, you know, the, the war in Ukraine and, and things like just horrible, evil, wicked things, demonic things like school shootings, um, we, we see our, you know, maybe over half of the country right now just, just, uh, just beside themselves over this abortion ruling, right? Just these dark things. And, and sometimes we can be overwhelmed, can't we? And we take a step back and we say, Lord, like, how can there be such evil in this world? This doesn't make sense. And you know what? It doesn't make sense. And we, we, and we can fall into just depression and anxiety and all these things if we don't have an eternal perspective. Because this world is not all there is. We're not living for this world. We're living for the time when Jesus is going to come back and he is going to make 
all things new. And God, by his amazing grace, he has entered into this world. He's entered into our sin. He's entered into this darkness, and he's come to plead with us. Jesus says in right, John chapter 3, it says that Jesus doesn't come to condemn the world. He has come to, to offer us salvation, that we stand condemned already. And Jesus is offering us his arm of salvation. He's calling us out and saying, I have, I have given you something so much better. I've created you for something so much better. This world that you're living in, this isn't the world. This isn't the life I want for you. I want something so much different. And the life I have for you is eternal. And so we need to have this eternal perspective as the people of God. Bible scholar, scholar and commentator Daniel Duriani, he writes, if we trust God, we know our foes can work no final harm. If they do their worst, they reunite us with God earlier than we had planned. Besides, this life is short and eternity is very long. Make no mistake, death is still painful and tragic, but after death, we cross over to a new land where God first judges and reigns. If we have not sought him, God will send us away from him forever. Jesus says we are to fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This fear is the beginning of wisdom. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of, the, one of the few German pastors who had the courage to oppose and speak openly against the regime of Adolf Hitler. And for standing against the Nazis and helping Jews escape and being part of a, a plot to assassinate Hitler, he was jailed and then he was executed. But from prison, he wrote this. He wrote, those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. And those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. And so this poses the question, what is the fear of God? The fear of God or the fear of the Lord is the antidote for the fear of man. That the bigger God gets in our life, the closer we get to God, the more we, we understand who God is, the more we're reminded and we're close to God, who God is. That is the antidote for the fear of man. I just love how Ed Welch defines the fear of the Lord. I, I know I already quoted him once, but, but uh, just, just a fantastic book. And I, I just love this so much. I had to share it with you guys. He writes, the fear of the Lord means reverent submission that leads to obedience. And it is interchangeable with worship, rely on, trust, and hope in. Like terror, it includes a knowledge of our sinfulness and God's moral purity. And it includes a clear-eyed knowledge of God's justice and his anger against sin. But this is a, a worship fear. And it also knows God's great forgiveness, mercy, and love. It knows that because of God's eternal plan of how Jesus humbled himself by dying on a cross to redeem his enemies from slavery and death, it knows that in our relationship with God, he always says, I love you first. This knowledge draws us closer to God rather than causing us to flee. It causes us to submit gladly to his lordship and delight in obedience. This kind of robust fear is the pinnacle of our response to God. So what we see here is that there's such a huge difference between worldly fear and the fear of the Lord. Because worldly fear, right? When we're afraid, what do we do? What's our natural response? We're out of there. I'm, I don't want no piece, piece of that. I'm, I'm out of here, right? And we run away. But see, the fear of the Lord, what it does, it does the opposite. 
The fear of the Lord, it brings us to our knees in awe of who God is, and it brings us to worship. And so when we're worshiping God, there is no greater, that's our response to God. We're worshiping God. We're actually drawing near to God. It does the opposite of what worldly fear does. And so this is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so when Jesus says in verses 32 and 33, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. What we need to understand is that the wisest thing we could ever do is give our lives to Jesus Christ. And to live out our faith publicly before others because it leads to nothing but blessings all the way around. Whether it be having a personal relationship with the one true God of the universe, which leads to peace and joy and fulfillment, even in the midst of persecution and hard times. Knowing the promise and assurance of eternal life that comes with our salvation. That we experience the blessings of when we acknowledge God publicly, especially when proclaiming the gospel, that it brings blessings and transformation to everyone we know, whether it be our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. The end result is newness of life and human flourishing. That some of you guys, I heard you guys are going out into Lakewood. You're sharing your story of how God has transformed your life. You're sharing the gospel. You want to speak the gospel into people's life. You realize that the Spirit of God uses that, that that somebody's life may be changed forever today. They may be ransomed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. Marvelous light where they're going to spend eternity apart from God and hell. Now they're going to spend eternity with Christ. That this is what, this is the result of the fear of the Lord in our life and the power of the gospel that leads to human flourishing. And so we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing with this, brothers and sisters? Are we living in the fear of man that is a snare, that's a trap that leads to death? Or are we living under the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom that leads to eternal life? Are we acknowledging Jesus wherever we go, both in word and in deed, whether it be at work, at school, at the gym with our neighbors, with the other parents that we see at those PTA meetings we just love, or while we watch our our kids' sporting events? Do people in your life know what you're all about? You know that that there's, there's people in your life, there's certain things, you think of people and there's certain things about them that just jump out, right? There's certain people, it's like, oh, that guy is like a huge Yankees fan or, or that, that person, you know, they're a foodie. They love to cook. They love good food or, you know, they, oh, there's, a, there's a golfer or there's somebody, that, you know, they love to shop. They love this, right? Do, how, what do people think about you? What's the thing that they identify about you? Is it that that person really loves Jesus? They're all about Jesus. What is it that when people look at us, what is it that we want them to see? Is it Jesus? Are we acknowledging God with our entire lives? Because this is what it means to be a disciple. Now, now hear me for a second. I want you to hear me. So many of us make the, the mistake that in our approach to God, in our approach to discipleship, we have all these things in our lives, don't we? We're, we're all busy. Whenever you ask people, hey, how you doing? I'm really busy. Everybody says that, right? I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. So we have all these things. And we, we tend to say to ourselves, well, Jesus, 
has to be the number one thing on my list. I have all these things in my life, and Jesus needs to be number one. That's not what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. Here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of a chest of drawers, right? Chest of drawers, and then you have all different drawers. And a lot of us think Jesus is supposed to be the top drawer. That's not what Jesus is supposed to be. You know who Jesus is? Jesus is the chest. And everything in our life needs to fit into that chest. And if it doesn't fit into that chest, it was Jesus Christ and who we are, then it has to go. Because it's stopping us from pursuing who God has called us to be as his disciples. And so think about that chest of drawers. What does that look like in your life? And so as we acknowledge God before others, one day we will have the blessing of standing before our Heavenly Father in glory where he will acknowledge us and we will be able to hear the most beautiful words ever spoken. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And there is no greater blessing or encouragement. And so with that being said, let's move ahead to our third and final point, the love of God. That in verses 29 through 31, Jesus puts the fear of the Lord in its proper perspective by contrasting it with the love of God. Even though our Heavenly Father knows the worst things we've ever done or thought, He still loves us. And He loves us with a perfect, steadfast love that casts out all fear. So let's finish up by reading verses 29 through 31 together. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground depart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So in verses 29 to 31, Jesus provides us with an illustration involving sparrows. And so we all know what a sparrow is. Those, those really super small birds. And they were actually sold in the marketplace for food. It's kind of gross. To us, right? I, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, I don't know if there's, there, there might be more meat on like one buffalo wing than a, spa, a sparrow. And I don't know, that sounds a little gamey. I don't know about that, but I guess when you're hungry, you're hungry, right? But um, so they were sold in the marketplace for food for the extremely low price of two for a penny. And in the grand scheme of things, it seems like the sparrow seems to be at the bottom of the totem pole with regard to stature and importance in God's creation. However, Jesus makes the point that our Heavenly Father takes notice of every single individual sparrow to the point where not one of them falls to the earth without him knowing. And so here's the point. The point being made here is that if every sparrow matters to God, imagine how valuable you are to God, being that he has made Every single one of us in his image. And he has given us dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth, as it says in Genesis 1. So in the famous words of Bob the Tomato, I don't know if there's any VeggieTales fans here, God made you special and he loves you very much. Now, hey, you know, I'm, I'm having some fun here. I'm being a little silly quoting a cartoon tomato. But the message this piece of produce gives at the end of every episode of VeggieTales is something we all need to not only hear, but we need to hide this biblical truth deep within our hearts. 
You know, it's been famously said that the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Well, maybe that's so. But I believe the greatest lie that Satan tricks us into believing is that we are of little value and God doesn't love us. That we can't be loved. You know, in verses 30 and 31, Jesus speaks against this lie from the pit of hell as he equips us as his disciples with the message of God's love and how our Heavenly Father places infinite value on every single one of his children. That he says in 30, verses 30 and 31, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. And so Jesus reminds us here that our Heavenly Father being omniscient and omnipresent, he knows everything and he knows everything about us to the point where he knows every single hair that's on our heads. Or for some of us, every single hair that used to be on our heads. But for many of us, I don't know about you, this is absolutely terrifying. As we're confronted with the reality that God has witnessed every single instance where we've fallen short, where we've messed up, where we've sinned over the course of our lives. He's seen it all. He knows it all. He's seen all the sinful things we've ever done. He even knows all of the most vile thoughts that have ever run through our heads. Scary. And yet, and yet, like a perfect father, there's nothing we could ever do to stop making God love us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Since it was Father's Day last Sunday, I'll, I'll pick on my fellow dads for a second. I'll, I'll put all the dads on the spot. Dads. We're all being honest. There are plenty of things that our kids can do to make us angry. <laughs> plenty of things they can do to make us feel angry, right? Frustrated, annoyed, disappointed. However, there's nothing, and I mean nothing, that they could ever do to make us stop loving them. Amen? That's how God feels about you. That's how God feels about every single one of you. The third exhortation that Jesus gives us not to fear in verse 31 is to quell the greatest fear that lives deep inside each and every single one of us that it's not possible for God to love me. And if we're being honest right now, there are some of us sitting here right now that walked into this building this morning and that's the way we feel right now. There's some of us sitting here right now who've convinced ourselves that there's no way God could ever love me. We're deep, in, deep inside, we say to ourselves, yeah, you know, he's God, he's supposed to love me. But, but when we really get down to it, the things that I've done, the things that I've done, the things that I've thought, it's unforgivable. There's no way God could have that kind of affection for me. But what the word of God says is that not only does God love us, but he has affection for us. He likes us. See, there's, there's some of us who have come here this morning that are carrying around with us the, the baggage of the past, the guilt and shame of, of, of something sinful. 
that maybe we've done, or maybe it's the guilt and shame of something that's been done to us, where we've been victimized in some way, whether it be being the victim of abuse by a family member, a loved one, someone we trusted. Maybe we were forced to endure a traumatic experience where we were sinned against. And that makes us feel dirty as if we're walking around this life with a, with a stain on our souls that we just feel like we can't get off no matter what we do. Can't wash it off. And what the Holy Spirit wants you to know and hear this morning, to believe this and to hide it in your heart, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he washed away your sin, guilt, and shame once and for all. He has made you as white as snow. That that is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on your behalf at the cross that removes the stain of sin, guilt, and shame where we have been made clean. We have been, we have been forgiven. We have been made children of God. We've been adopted into God's very family that we are so deeply loved that the one true God of the universe left his throne in heaven to rescue and pursue you. The word of God says that, that he is the one that leaves the 99 to pursue the one. That's the truth. That's how God feels about you. The truth is that you are loved and it is the desire of your heavenly father for you to receive that love. My parents, this is the saddest thing we could ever think of our kids not knowing how much we love them. Them refusing our love, not receiving it. Right? That breaks your heart even thinking about it. Well, our heavenly father feels the same way. And the truth is, is that God loves us so much that John 3.16 says that he gave up his only son on our behalf so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so whenever we doubt the love of God in our lives, all we need to do is to look to the cross to remind us of our God's perfect, steadfast love for us that is never in doubt. See, part of the good news of the gospel is that God loves you and he wants you to know that you were worth dying for. And there may be some of us here that we've been reading the Bible our whole entire lives the wrong way. And we've missed the central point of the Bible. There's some of us, we come to the Bible and we think that it's a, it's a book of rules, the guide for life. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is the story of over and over and over again of our failure. That we keep blowing it and messing up. As people. And what does God do? Every single time, what does he meet our failure with? His amazing grace. And his steadfast love. See, our, our world, we have a definition of love where we, we fall in and out of love. Right? It, it, it's just so temporary. It's so fleeting. Not the love of God. The love of God is forever. It's a I love you no matter what kind of love? And that's the story of the scriptures. It's God's love letter to us. It's of all the ways we've failed, that God meets our failure with his steadfast faithfulness and perfect covenant promises, his perfect love for us over and over and over again, that he loves us even to the point of death. And so as our passage comes to a close, we need to ask ourselves, have we received the love of God in our lives? 
Or are we living under the deception of the evil one that is causing us to doubt God's love for us? Because the truth is that it's only the love of God rooted in the gospel that has the power to free us from the fear of man and overcome sin in our lives. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You see, the reason why we fall into sin is very simple. Because our affections for God are far too weak. We allow the fear of man and the things of this world to allow our affections for God to wane and drift towards the sin that leads to pain and sadness and destruction in our lives. And this is why we need to be in God's word daily. We need to be communing with with God in prayer all the time. We need to be using our gifts to serve God and setting time aside to be in, in community with God's people in order to fan the flame of affection because we are so prone to want that we can fan the flame of affection for God in our relationship with God so that it remains strong and that our hearts do not wander. However, the first step we must take in receiving the love of God in our lives is making the decision to trust in Jesus Christ and be our Lord and Savior. And so if you want to know the perfect love that casts out all fear, take that step of faith this morning by calling out to God in your own words and letting him know that you desire to surrender your life to him and want to follow after him as his disciple. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and your perfect love. How, Lord, you, you meet us in our, in our sin, in our failure, when we fall short, when we wander. You meet us with that grace. You meet us with that steadfast faithfulness, that perfect love. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who walked into this building, who didn't feel loved, who's struggling with, with feelings of worthlessness, struggling with feelings like they don't matter, that they're not valued, that they would know that you were worth, that they were worth pursuing. The one true God of the universe left his throne in heaven to pursue them and gave up his life for them. Father, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your spirit this morning. If there's anyone here that has not trusted in you for salvation, who has not sought the forgiveness of sin that can only be found in Jesus Christ by grace through faith in Christ alone, that they would take that step this morning. Lord, we thank you again for your amazing grace and your perfect love. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you. And may we represent him well as we leave this place today. May you remember the words that God has spoken through Pastor Jared. And may you be not only encouraged, but challenged to live out these truths that we have been reminded of this morning. So church, go in peace, represent him well, and enjoy your walk with the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Thanks for joining us again this morning. Thank you.
He's out. 